Who stayed up for New Year's Eve? Anybody stay awake the whole time? Way to go, champs. Who was like me? Bed at 10.30. Anybody? Yeah, let's just, let's just be done with it was my thing. Uh, when I was younger, it was not going to happen. I was always going to see the new year uh, all the way through, stay up much later, uh, you know, after that. And, you know, Dick Clark, remember that? Dick, Croc, Dick Clark's Rocking Eve, what's it? You know, anyway, and, uh, and the ball dropping. Did they drop it? I didn't even know. Did they drop the ball this year? No one was in Times Square to see it, I guess. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, that was my former tradition. But as I've gotten older, I just don't care. And here's why. And, and I'm, I'm going to sound like Debbie Downer here. But, but here's the deal. The only thing that changed was the number that you put on your checks, people. That's the only thing that really changed. And you know, checks, that's an old thing. You, we used to use these paper things where you would write. <laughs> now it's just Venmo. But, um, but that's the only thing that's really changed. Thursday turned into Friday. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the, the world, in, in great part, remains the same. Not that, that some of you are like, yeah, I guess, and, but bummer. No, not a bummer. It's just the way things are. Uh, in fact, New Year's come and go. But, but, but life and, and what uh, life is about doesn't change. You know, I, I figure the church, roughly now, has, has seen almost 2,000 New Year's. And, and the, the mission of the church has not changed in those 2,000 years. We are still a group of people called out. Ecclesia is the word for church in Greek. It means called out ones. We are the people called out by God to be his children and to be used as his children to impact the world for his sake. The more things change, an old song that I used to like, uh, the lyrics went like this, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And the Christian mission has been the same in every era regardless of what circumstances meet it, whether we're meeting online or meeting in persecution like many are today uh, around the world. Forget about meeting online. They've got to meet in secret. Uh, whatever circumstances beset us, the mission remains the same. It's worded differently in different churches and different places, but the thrust of it is, is this. This is how we phrase it here. We live as Christians to glorify God by being disciples who makes disciples. Anybody heard me say that before? Yeah, let's just go through it again. There's, if, you've, if you've ever wondered about that phrase, it's centered around three main thoughts, three, three main verbal clauses. The first one is this. We exist, we live to glorify God. I got that from the Bible. Lots of different places, but uh, Paul makes it probably clearest in his writing to the Colossians when he says this in the first chapter in verse 16. He says, listen, for by him, he's talking about Jesus, the son of God, for by him, by God, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He's talking about the material and the spiritual, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, those are all kind of stations of spiritual beings. But he says, uh, all things were created, and here's the big thing, through him, Jesus, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, created Everything that it is, right, through him. And then what's the next thing? For him. Everything that you see is for God. Now, not everything that you see is pointed in his direction right now because sin has entered the world and marred creation and pulled creation away from its initial intent. But everything that exists was created by God and for God, for the glory of God. Who, that seems Kind of braggadocious. He, why would he create so he just gets the shine? He deserves the shine. He is supreme, ultimate, above all things. Everything is his and it's for him and his glory. 
We live to glorify God. <clears throat> the second part of that is that we live to glorify God by being disciples. The best way that you and I can bring glory to our God is to follow him and emulate him. That's basically the two pieces of discipleship. Obey and look like. Do what he says, do what he does. We understand this. We, we see discipleship in lots of areas of life. When I was learning to preach, I got to learn to preach from a really great preacher. His name's Pete Briscoe. He's just a, a linguist. He's a, a master communicator. And so I would watch him preach. And as I would preach in my youth group at the time, I would try to emulate the things that I saw him do well. Well, then it came time as a young youth pastor that Pete said, you're going to preach in the big room. And I was like, I don't think so. That's not my job. He says, it is now. He says, well, I don't know how to do that. I get up and tell fart stories. You know, that's what, that's my, I'm the youth pastor. That's what I do. Sorry. That won't make next service. Sorry. Strike that from the record. <laughs> Gas stories. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> he said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. And, and so that's what he did. I went to preacher boot camp with Pete. And he, he basically, he'd sit in the front row as I would practice the first sermon I ever preached in the church that we were a part of in Dallas. And he would, uh, he had a taboo uh, uh, buzzer. Anybody know that game, taboo? And he would sit there and every time I said, uh, he'd buzz it. It was so annoying. I just wanted to punch him. I did. And I could have. I was much bigger than him. Anyway, uh, but I didn't because I saw him. I esteemed him. I wanted to be like him. And so I watched him and I, I did what he did. I, I learned from him as he taught me. That's what we're doing here. Everybody gets that's what we're doing here, right? We're here figuring out who God is so that we can understand his word and obey what it says, but so that we can understand his character and become like he is. That's what it is to be a disciple. There's great benefits to those who follow and emulate the God who made them. And Jesus talked about them in John chapter 8. He said, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, many of these who had just come to him, he says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. If you listen to me, and, and you look to me and you obey what I say, then you're my disciples. And here's the benefit. You will know the truth. I wish I could go into our Bibles and make it truth, capital T. There's lots of truths out there. Anybody heard some other truths? But Jesus says, listen, if you abide in me, you'll be my follower and you'll know the truth, capital T, and the truth, capital T, well, what? Will set you free. Who, anybody like to be free? Anybody like to be unencumbered by the rest of the mess that is the world and its false messaging and its stupidity and its... Uh, Jesus says, hey man, follow me, stick with me, be like me. It will lead you to the truth and that truth will keep you, set you free. Hmm. Following these days is, is an internet term. How many follows do you have? How many subs? My son Cooper... Had a YouTube channel a few years back. He had 10,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but follow in that sense has a completely different idea than what follow in the Jesus sense has. Following in, in, in the internet world is, is being entertained by, appreciating, and tuning into. And I think a lot of people who call themselves Christian, that's their idea of follow. I appreciate Jesus, he seems nice. I'll tune in to him. I'll go to the church that entertains me most. And if I'm not entertained anymore, since my Christianity is really all about me, I'll go to the next one or the next one or the next one until I'm comfortable. 
That's not the kind of follow that we've been called to. Does everybody get that? I wonder if, if Jesus came to churches these days, if he just kind of stand at the door and say, poser, okay, you can come in, poser, poser, all about you, poser. And he'd kind of purify the flock. Is everybody with me on this? Because so many people come in and they treat this like a YouTube channel that they subscribe to. But the follow that Jesus uh, commends is a follow that sacrifices, surrenders, yields entirely. He was always trying to let people know, this is what it means to follow me. You think you, think, you think you know what it is to follow me. You're in it for what you can get out of it. But here's what it really means to follow me. In uh, Luke chapter 9, he's having a walk with some people, and, and several of them said, I'm going to follow you always. And he, he said, listen, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You better count the cost, buddy. This is going to be hard. Others say, you know, I'm going to follow you w- w- without fail. Uh, just let me go bury my father, one guy said. I need to go bury my dad. And he says, hey, man, let the dead bury the dead. Kind of harsh. That's a, that, he harshed him out there, right? But what was he saying? Hey, man, the earthly stuff comes second to the spiritual, to the, to the follow stuff. The last one's my favorite. Uh, another guy in the crowd says, I'll follow you, Lord. Just, just let me go say goodbye. I just want to go say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said this. He said, whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And what he was saying is, like, if you're going to be a farmer, don't start plowing and start looking back because you're going to have these rows that just kind of all through your field. They wrote hymns about it. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, Right? the world behind me, the cross before me, right? This, this follow thing is an entertainment. I am not here as your pastor for your entertainment. This church does not exist for your comfort, although I pray we give it to you. God's mercy and grace should abound, amen? But we go beyond those things, beyond ourselves in this follow of Jesus. And we surrender so that he might have all. We'll talk more about that in a second. So we live to glorify God by being disciples. There's one more phrase. Anybody remember what it is? It's on the screens. You can read, right? By being disciples who what? Who make disciples. That's where I'm going to spend most of my time today. It's a familiar passage to many of us. So familiar that maybe its effect has kind of been lost. Maybe we should read this every day or every Sunday we gather together before we leave because this is the point of our gathering. We gather so that we might accomplish what these verses say. In Matthew chapter 28, it says this, Jesus, before he's about to ascend into heaven, comes to his disciples one last time. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, therefore, go and do what? And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you to do. And behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. All right, team, he says, this is the point. That's why we hung out for three and a half years. That's why I died and rose again. So that you might be my disciples, but that you might go as my disciples to a world that desperately needs me. And share my good news with them. I don't know why you came to church today, but here's why you should have come to church today. For you as a disciple, if that's who you are. If you're not yet, glad you're here. We'll talk to you in a second. 
But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray you showed up today, not out of habit, not to keep her off your back, not because you got to, because you get to in this life with Christ, come and learn about him, be inspired, reminded of who he is and what he wants, and then you get to leave here in service to him as a disciple who makes disciples. That's the point. It's not just warm fuzzies. It's not, hope she, Darnisha sings my favorite song. It's about us being prepared as disciples for the mission that God has given his disciples. Our follow goes beyond our personal lives. And, and, and if we miss that, it's like missing an important step in a process. Like, like on the back of your shampoo bottles this morning, you didn't read it because you're used to shampooing your hair. But it basically gives instructions like this, uh, if you can throw that up there. Um, it basically says, uh, apply to wet hair. There it is. Um, massage into scalp and hair. Everybody following me so far? Working through the ends. Rinse thoroughly. And then, this is my favorite part, feel free to belt out some horrible 80s tune that you listen to when nobody's around. Whatever, you totally do it. All right, anyway, uh, that's on an actual shampoo bottle. Anyway, uh, but we all, get, uh, we all get how shampoo works, right? Get your hair wet, put the shampoo on, and then rinse it off. Okay, so I'm, I'm a little kid. I, I'm in the tub. It's Saturday because that's when we took our baths. Does anybody remember? That some of you are not old enough to remember the weekly bath, and you didn't grow up in the Cretan family that I did. But I got, I got a bath once a week whether I wanted it or not. Uh, and I wanted to get out of there so fast. I hated baths. Love them now. Uh, but hated, you know, uh, the whole cleansing process. And so uh, they would make sure that I would wash my hair. Can I let you know, as a nine-year-old, I'd often forget that I'd washed my hair uh, and to rinse the soap out of it. And so I'd get out in my pajamas on a Saturday night so I could hurry up and watch Bugs Bunny, which came on at around 7 right after bath time. And my mother would be like, Mark, what are you doing? What do you mean, what am I doing, Mom? I did the bath. I, you told me what to do. I had to do the bath. He says, Mark, and she'd come over and she'd touch my hair and she'd be like, what is that? I'm like, oh, suds. Go stick your head under the tap, you moron. She didn't call me moron, but she meant moron. She looked at me. I knew what she was thinking. And I was. I was in a hurry. I wanted to get on with the other stuff. And, and that's what happens a lot of times in the, in the disciples' life. So we do the first part, so we forget the last one. So we're going to talk about that today. Let's recap. Re, recap. God made everything and everyone to glorify him. Can anybody say amen to that? All right. We glorify God best by living with him and for him according to his revealed will for us. In other words, it's best for us to glorify God by being his disciples. Can anybody say amen to that? Okay. And God's will for his disciples, not just the paid ones, not just the ones with the outgoing personalities, but it's God's will for all of his disciples as he gives them the opportunity to be a part of making more disciples in his name. Can everybody say amen to me with all that one? All right. Now, Jesus knew this was going to be hard for us. So he came, lived on this earth, certainly to become the perfect sacrifice for us. All that was in his plan. But he, he came to live out the template to show us what this looks like. That's why we have the three and a half years of his ministry captured for us in the Gospels. His whole life was lived perfectly glorifying God and revealing to us how we should live <clears throat> and showing to us how we are uh, like him 
in, in making disciples. And so uh, we're going to use some chairs today to talk about that. As I'm grabbing these chairs, you can go online uh, to baylife.org slash disciple and look at that brochure if you want. Uh, but uh, I just think chairs are apt in helping us understand how this works. Talk amongst yourselves. Uh, maybe turn to someone next to you. Tell them what your favorite chair is. Is there a favorite chair in your house? Share that with someone. Maybe you're at home right now sitting in that favorite chair and you're pointing to it as I'm putting these chairs out for us. Anybody got a favorite chair? I think I'm done. Everybody on the count of three, your favorite chair? Say it, one, two, three. Recliner, how many people said recliner? You're correct, the rest of you, figure it out. All right, all right. <laughs> how Jesus made disciples, let me talk to you about that as we continue. There was phases in the discipleship of Jesus' disciples. The first phase was the come and see phase. Jesus just invited these guys that he met to come and hang out. Come and do life with me. Check me out. Check out what I'm saying. Check out if it, it, it's seen in how I live. I could read lots of passages where this happened, but I'll, I'll go to John chapter 1. Jesus has just been baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And on the day that followed that, uh, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Um, John was the prophet du jour. He was the, the, the voice of Israel in that time. And so for him to look at his cousin, Jesus of Nazareth, and say, that's him. That's the Messiah. Everybody was like, whoa. John's been talking about him coming. He's not fit to tie his shoes. And there he is. And so these two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, hey, what's up? Why are you following me? <laughs> Understandable. And here's what they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, uh, where, where are you staying? I don't think this is what they meant to ask him. Like, they didn't start following Jesus to find out, hey, did you get a room at the La Quinta? I mean, where are you? Are you... Where are you staying? I think they were just like uh, so taken aback that he saw them following him because they were following from a distance uh, and, and they weren't ready for the question. What they're really wanting to ask is, are you the Messiah? That's what John said. Is that true? But they do like you and I do sometimes when we're cut off guard. They're just like, Bleh. and so they said, uh, where are you staying? And Jesus, knowing what their real question is, says this to him, verse 39, he says to them, come and you will see. So they came. They saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, about 4 o'clock. They, they spent the night. They hung out together the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. We don't know how many days. The Bible doesn't give us, you know, a diary of every moment of Jesus' life, but they, they started hanging out. It started slow. He, he told these original two and the others that would come with him, Philip and Nathaniel and Simon and, and Andrew and James and John. He said, just come and hang out. A little bit later in, in John chapter 1, uh, Jesus meets his disciple Nathaniel. And Nathaniel says, is there, anybody, is there anything good that comes from Nazareth? He's talking about Jesus' hometown. Apparently, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, scummy or just below. And uh, so he just says, oh, there can't be. the Messiah certainly is not from Nazareth. That cannot be possible. And Jesus meets Nathaniel and says, hey, I know you. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? <laughs> and Jesus gives this answer. I saw you underneath the fig tree. I've always wondered about this text. Because when I originally read it, I was like, oh, wow, Jesus has this clairvoyance or this ability to see things where he is not because he's God. And so, um, you know, he, he can read people's minds. He knows who they are. And, and so Nathaniel was super wowed by the fig tree comment. 
But then I keep reading. Nathaniel's already shown his keister here. He's already shown he's kind of a sarcastic, jerky guy. He doesn't believe in Jesus, right? And so when, when Nathaniel says, oh, you must be the king of the Jews. You must be the son of God. I think he's, he might be. I'm not saying this for sure, but he might be being sarcastic. You saw me under a fig tree. How many fig trees have I been under in the last couple days? I don't know if that's true. I guess it could be. But Jesus, whether Nathaniel was honestly amazed by the fact that he saw him under the fig tree or sarcastically was proclaiming him to be the son of God. Regardless, Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. He's basically saying, hey, man, you ain't seen nothing. Come and see. Come and see. The whole world starts here in this first chair. Everybody's separated from God. It's a, it should be a much bigger chair. Billions sit here right now. And yet God has sent his church, his people, to be the inviters of the, of the people who sit in this chair. Come and see. Come and get to know this, this God who has created you for him. Come and see his son and the message that we have. It's amazing to watch as these initial disciples go uh, with Jesus through the book of John. They, they go first to a wedding. I mean, just, hey, I, I got to go to this wedding. You guys want to come? And, and weddings were week-long affairs, and so uh, Jesus and his disciples posted up at this wedding, and remember they ran out of wine, right? And Jesus did his first miracle. He changed his water into wine, not just any wine, not box wine, like the good stuff, right? Uh, <clears throat> if you read through there, if you're trying to figure out how much wine it was, it was over 900 regular-sized bottles of wine that Jesus made. Pretty cool. But he just said, hey, fellas, come and watch. And when they saw him turn water into wine, they're like, oh, this, there's something here. There's something here. The next thing the Bible records is that Jesus goes to the uh, temple in Jerusalem. Remember what he does there? Tears it up. Goes bonkers. Starts throwing people around and, and saying, you, you know, you've perverted my father's house. You've made it something it was never meant to be. And the disciples saw the power with which he was able to, you know, Jackie Chan, this whole situation. And they, they realized there was something about this guy. He was a grace giver. He was a wrath invoker. A couple chapters later, he takes them to Samaria, which is this like taboo place for Israel. No good Jew would ever go to Samaria. And he takes them there and they're like, well, we're hungry. We're headed to Subway. Do you want anything, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, I'm staying here at the well. And he has this conversation with this woman at this well. And <clears throat> this woman, and they talk about worship and where it should happen and whose religion, the Samaritan or the, the more you know, uh, uh, you know, common Jewish faith is right. And, and, and they get down to who she's sleeping with. And Jesus reads her mail. That's kind of funny. Reads her mail. Mail is in man. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> she goes into town. She says, you guys got to come and see. I think I just met the Messiah. And you remember what Jesus says? There's, all these Samaritans are coming out from the town as, as the disciples are gathering around him and asking him what he was doing. He says, you guys, you know, they're offering him a sandwich. He's like, you guys don't even know the, 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 the things that I hunger for, the things that feed me. They're, they're not subway related they're they're from the father and 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 here comes all these samaritans he says look the fields are white under harvest so 
the, the workers are few. He, he basically, in the time that he's had to just get to know these guys, in the very early days, the first four months or so, Bible scholars think, the very early days of his relationship with them, he's like, man, just come and see. See my grace. See my wrath. See my mission. I'll show you. But it doesn't stay there. Because eventually, he wants them to get to the second chair, which is the come and follow me chair. Come and see, but then you got to decide, follow or not. Does this in a lot of different ways with uh, several of the disciples. One of my favorite is in Luke chapter 5 where he, he meets this guy, Levi. We know him to be Matthew, the writer of the first gospel of Matthew. But Levi was just this tax collector. We don't get a lot of background. You ever notice that about the Bible? Lots of times they just kind of drop in and they say, here's what happened. But they don't give you everything that happened. I think Levi, Matthew, whatever you want to call him, and Jesus had known each other before. They'd probably been talking some. There'd probably been this come and see kind of relationship between them. But then Jesus makes the call in Luke chapter 5. He sees Levi sitting at the tax booth and he says to him, follow me. And Levi leaves everything and follows him. He leaves his career. He doesn't leave his friends. He's going to have a party with them in a little bit. But he leaves everything that had been important to him and he makes Jesus his first priority. That's, that's what salvation is. Everybody gets that, right? Like when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not just adding him to the mix. He's not just kind of coming in as this addition to what you already have in life. He's not amongst your priorities. He's meant to become the priority of your life. You leave everything when you choose to follow him. That's what it said about the fishermen that Jesus was hanging out with. Earlier in this same chapter, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus tells these fishermen to go out and put their nets on one side of the boat instead of the other side of the boat. Everybody remember that story? And they get this big whopping load of fish, and Peter says, oh, I'm unclean, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't deserve to be around you. And Jesus says, hey, man, that's okay. Come and follow me. And after, <laughs> after he had called them to do that, they left how much? Everything. And they followed him. Everybody sits here initially, but by God's grace, there's many of us in this room are sitting here. We've understood our need. We've recognized that we can't save ourselves. We're received by grace through faith what only Jesus can give. And I pray that we're learning, going further in the leaving behind of everything. Part of that leads to us getting to this third chair, becoming these fishers of men that Jesus asked us to be. He asked it initially of his first disciples and a, a, a parallel account to that fishing story in Matthew chapter four. Um, Matthew summarizes it much more, you know, truncated wise. He says that uh, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon and Peter and his brother Andrew, and, uh, and, or Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and they, they were casting their nets in the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them this, follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men. And, and again, the result is the same. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. They understood <clears throat> this life with Jesus is not just about me and mine. From the get-go, Jesus made it clear to these initial disciples, come and see, 
But once you follow, once you're in, it's about others, serving them, leading them, pointing them to me, not just yourself. Uh, Luke, in that passage about the fishing story, said the same thing. Jesus said to Simon, Luke 5, verse 10, don't be afraid from now on. You're not going to be catching fish. You're going to be catching men. At different times, he would take these disciples away, and, and he'd, he'd have training sessions. He went up on the hill in Mark chapter 3, and he took 12, and he says, you guys are going to be my special ones. You're going to kind of be uh, my, my leader of leaders. Uh, he made them apostles, which means sent one. Or messenger, and he said, you guys are going to be chief. You're going to be the ones who disseminate this training when I'm gone. Later in, in Mark chapter 6, he gets those same guys together, and he pairs them up two by two, and he says, all right, go. Go into homes. Stay there as long as they'll have you. Don't take, you know, uh, your purse, your wallet. Don't take your, an extra tunic. You know, don't, don't take anything extra. Just trust in God. Go and preach. Make disciples what they did. So in summary, when, when I receive Christ, when I am saved by faith, I'm saved not just for myself, I'm saved to help others and help others be saved. Which leads us to a tough question. If we aren't making disciples, are we really doing our discipleship right? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. Because here's what I think a lot of times happens in churches. Hey, just be a good Christian. Or even be like nominally better than you were. <clears throat> or in some churches, just stay how you are. Just keep giving so we can support the infrastructure. Just keep serving every once in a while so that we have the, the servants that we need to run our, our, our stuff. And, and we lower this bar and think, yeah, I mean, I'm nailing it. Crushing it. Disciple. But we've got to ask ourselves, if our discipleship has not gone beyond us, and made impacts in the lives of the people around us, are we doing it right? I was working recently on a, on a project, I'll tell you about it in a second, but uh, I had one of those socket wrenches, and, and if you've never used a socket wrench, it can go this way or it can go that way, and it just depends on what you do with the little you know, setting on the top. And uh, I was working underwater in this particular project, so I was sticking the socket wrench underwater, and I just start reefing on it, and I couldn't, has anybody else got this like problem? I couldn't tell if I was screwing it in or screwing it out. Has anybody ever been there? I mean, it's a 50-50 shot, people. We're not talking like several settings here. It's either going left or right, or whatever directions I just pointed. And I, I can't tell you how often I did this on how many of those bolts. I would have it you know, set one way for another bolt, and, and, and I'd have to sit there <laughs> until I finally got it going in the right direction. Anybody? Some of the guys are looking at me like, what do I know? When was the last time we looked at our faith, our Christianity, our, our discipleship and asked ourselves, am I doing this right? Am I doing this enough? Or am I just kind of coasting like I've always done? Or am I just kind of there because she makes me go? Or am I, I always make the women the bad guys, uh, there because he makes me go. I don't know. Am I, am I just doing this? Or am I doing this right? Jesus told this uh, parable, troubling one. Uh, he, he basically uh, was a, a money manager, the master in this parable, and he, he gives money, talents they're called, to, to three of his underlings. 
And he says, go make much of, of what I've given you. And, and so he goes away, and, and, and the three start to do what they do. And, and one goes and invests a ton and gets a, an increase, and the other goes and invests what he has and gets an increase. And then one guy has been given one talent, but what's he do with it? He buries it in the backyard, doesn't do anything with it. And the master comes back, and he commends the first two, well done, well done. And he gets to the one guy, and the one guy says, well, I got what you gave me, and I just sat on it. I didn't lose it. And Jesus looked, or, well, that's who Jesus is in the story. He's the master. And he looks at this servant and he says, you wicked. He calls him wicked. You wicked servant. Depart from me. Whoa. Does everybody get that Jesus tells some hard stories? That's a hard story. Now, his grace, I think, keeps us close to him. Who he's called, he doesn't let go. But what he's saying here for emphasis is saying, listen, if I've given you this great salvation, this great gift, and you just sit on it, what good is that? It's ours to share. Making disciples takes many forms. We raise our kids to follow Jesus. Thank you, all you parents who have done that or who are doing that. Please keep doing that. It's the chief of your responsibilities. It's the top tier responsibility of your parenting. I don't care what school they go to, I hope it's a good one. I don't care if they become successes in life, I hope they do. But the chief thing that you can give them is Jesus. And even if they turn from Jesus, like some of us are experiencing, you can know in your heart that that was your chief aim. You lived the Christ life in front of them, you told them what the Christ life was about, and you can just sit there and wait for God to bring their rebellious butts back home. Are you with me? But we do that. As parents, we, we join up in these life groups, which we're going to have a chance to do here later in January, to rub off on each other, to experience reciprocal discipleship, I like to call it. We serve in ministries. Please continue to serve in ministries. Exercise the gifts that God's given you. Be useful in making disciples that way. We give. I keep talking about giving. Please continue to give. We should all be generous with everything that God's given us so that the ministry of making disciples goes forward. But it goes beyond those things, I think. Like, if you were just plopped down as the only Christian in one neighborhood, would anybody's lives be changed? Would anybody else follow Jesus because you were there? That's, that's, I mean, that's a great question for me to ask. You know, I have, I have the benefit. If, 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 you know, I meet someone, and the, the first few questions usually when you meet somebody is, what do you do? Well, I'm out right away. I'm just outed. Uh, I work at a church. Oh, and from there I can go. But some of you guys have lived next to your neighbors for years. They don't know you're a Christian. Wouldn't have clue one, you're a nice guy. But if we dropped you, no church, no apparatus, we just dropped you into a world without Jesus, would anybody else hear about him and know who he is? And listen, I'm not here, I'm not here to condemn. I hope you're not hearing that. I'm just asking the questions. The Bible seems to imply that that's who we are as Christ followers. We're disciple makers. And so it is that this fourth chair comes into play. It's the abide and bear fruit chair. Jesus talks a lot in Matthew, or excuse me, John 15, about uh, us being uh, the branches to his vine. It says in, in John chapter 15, verse 5, I'm the vine, vine, you're the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do how much? Yeah. He goes on later in that same teaching. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and what? Bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. 
So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. <clears throat> Certainly he's talking about a lot of things there as he's talking about bearing fruit and abiding and all that stuff. But his hope is that your life will multiply. That you'll bear fruit and that fruit will abide in such a way that when other people see it, when, that, when you have the opportunities, you'll be able to be a disciple maker with Jesus. I set the chair way over there because most of us, if we're sitting here, have moved from the come and see uh, to the come and follow. Maybe some of you haven't. I pray you do soon. But if you're here and you're a come and follow person, maybe you've gone from being a come and follow person to a, hey, come and, and, and let's fish. Let's be a part of this. And you're serving in ministries. That's great. But my question is this, how many of us have moved from just being available, serving in whatever capacities God's given us, to being intentionally involved in relationships where we're rubbing off on someone for Jesus' sake? I'd like us to be the church that does this. Makes it not so hard, makes it not so weird, makes it not so scary. Just love Jesus in front of people. Intentionally start praying that you'll go to someone who's in the come and see phase and be that Jesus that they can see. Tell them what the gospel is so that they can, at their time, come and follow. Be there so that as they grow, you can teach them what it is to serve and give and use their gifts and become this contributing co-fisherman with you. And then see them grow to the point where by God's grace you've grown to where you could be someone who multiplies and starts the whole business all over again. Why should we be involved in making disciples? Just a couple things as we close. First of all, it's what Jesus told us to do. All for obedience, anybody here for obedience? Okay, so that'd be enough. We shouldn't need any other reason. But there's other great things that come with us being disciple makers. Efficiency. So we're like, what are you talking about? The more people, more disciples get involved in making disciples, the more disciples there is. Does everybody get the math on that? You ever, ever heard of Newpedia? I read this in a book uh, by a guy named Bill Hall. Newpedia uh, started in, in the year 2000. It was started by uh, a couple guys. I'll say their names just so I get it right. Uh, Jimmy Wales and Larry Sanger. They had this vision. They're, they're, uh, you know, the, the internet had kind of just begun and there, there wasn't this, this great encyclopedia. They'd been former world encyclopedia sales. Who grew up with those? Anybody grew up with the world book? Yeah. The least used books in the world. Anyway, uh, they held down papers in my house. But uh, they said, wouldn't it be great if we had an encyclopedia online? And so they started this thing called Newpedia and they went to all these professors and specialists and experts and they said, would you be contributors to our Newpedia site? And they said, sure. And over the first year, this collection of experts was able to put together 25 articles for Newpedia. And we're like, this isn't working at all. We'll never have any information if this is how we do it. And so you know what they had? They did, they had this great idea. We're just gonna throw it out to the internet. And we're going to let people who know stuff, may not be experts, but they know stuff, to start contributing to these articles. They started, they renamed it. You know what they called it? Wikipedia. And I think I, I quoted the numbers wrong. Oh, yeah, the first three years, 24 articles. In the next year, once they went to this model of involving more people, 20,000 articles in one year. Over the last 15 years, 20 million articles. Now, Wikipedia is not the tool of God. I'm not using it as an example. I'm just trying to show us how multiplication works. The more people that get involved, not just the experts, not just the, you know, the Christians that you pay, but the more all of us get involved in the mission, the more successful the mission will be. 
So we do it for obedience. We do it for efficiency. We do it for personal effect. Fact. If you get involved in the discipling of other people, you'll be a better disciple. Everybody hear me on that? We're all sitting here. It's a brand new year. Calendar just turned over. Lord, I'd like to get closer to you. Can I recommend one of the best ways for you to get closer to Jesus? Tell other people about Jesus. Be instrumental in them following Jesus. If you do it with them, you'll benefit from it. In fact, I say this all the time. I learn more from the people I'm discipling than I expect they learn from me. That's just how it works. When I was uh, first here, I had a friend who went to our church. He's no longer here. His name was Corey Goodwin. He was a trainer. Uh, he challenged me one year, uh, one of the first years I was here. Hey, let me, let me start training you. And so I'd go to his gym. He had a gym over there by Costco. And he trained all the, like, the professional athletes in town. He was a really good trainer. And, uh, and he just put me through the, and I, you know, fat mark. You know, uh, I'm just struggling. I, I couldn't do the stuff he was telling me to do. And finally, one day, I, I had it with him. I, I said, lay off, man. I said, you, know, you have no idea how it is to be my weight and do what you're telling me to do. He was like, okay, fine. And so they had these weight vests. He says, how much you weigh? And Corey was just this little itty-bitty guy. And I said, well, it turned out to be like 100 more pounds than he did. And he's like, all right. And he just starts putting these weight vests on. Like, like, I don't know, eight or 10 of them. So that he was an extra 100 pounds. And he says, all right, man, let's work out. And we did the same workout. And I, I loved every second of it. Because he struggled in every exercise, just like I had been, right? But we get done the whole workout, he takes off all those vests, calls me later the next day. He says, man, I'm, so, I'm, I'm more tore up right now than I've been in years. I says, yeah, you know, you know how it feels, you know? Welcome to fat guy world, right? <clears throat> and he says, no, you don't understand. That was the best workout I've had in years. I was like, what do you mean? It's just a pain for me. He says, no, I'm, I'm going to start doing that. And so he was able to benefit from something that he was trying to impart to me. Are you with me? And this is how it works for disciples. We try to, we pull out our hair, we pray, we, we pers persevere and persist. When we're doing that, when we're involved in the deepening and the discipling of other people, God's deepening and discipling us. And we're becoming more like him. I'm out of time. There's never enough time to preach. Some of you are looking at me and you're blowing me off or you're doubting that you can do this. Let me share with you a couple of my Christmas gifts and we'll go home. I opened this one, it's from my neighbor. Uh, sweet Maggie gave me this hammer. She knows of my struggles that uh, I have in, in home improvement and so she gave me this, hanger with this, or this hammer with this verse on it. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. <laughs> Isn't that a great gift? I thought it was a great gift, I don't know what she said. Anyway, uh, this is hanging in my, uh, my, my workspace in my garage. Along with this, Eleanor and I got each other a gift. We've been talking about it online. Uh, but it came in three boxes, like this one. Uh, it carried these huge galvanized pipes and these huge uh, rails uh, that would uh, prayerfully become the dock that sat in the lake outside of our house. Uh, has anybody ever gotten something in the like, goody, and at the same time, oh no. Has anybody been there? Anytime I get something I have to build, that's how I feel. Oh, great, that's going to be good if I can ever make it happen. So I walked past this in my uh, garage a few times. 
And finally, you know, because it was off this past week, I said, all right, we're just doing it. And I started. I started by just building the first platform. I took one of these boxes, I emptied it out, and I took all the pieces and I put them together. Can I tell you, I put them together wrong the first two times? Because slot A didn't go to this full B, and, and there was just all these things. And I, it took me a longer time. But then the next one was easier, and the next one was easier after that. And then I took all this stuff out in my backyard, and I said, all right, bug it, here we go. I'm just going to start trying to set this thing in my, in my lake. And the first four hours of trying to set the first platform were excruciating. I hated every second of it. And I still did it wrong. So then I called my neighbor, who's smart on these things. And I said, hey, John, I need a consult. That means I'm going to take up the rest of your afternoon. <laughs> and you're going to help me put this in. And he did. And we just started walking through this thing. And now I give to you my dock. There it is. Oh, yeah, there it is. Oh, thank you. No, I'm taking that. Shine, baby. Yes. There's a dock in my lake because... After being given all that I needed to make it happen, by the grace of God, in courage and perseverance, I stepped out in faith and started to build what he intended me to build. Are you with me, church? If Mark can put a dock in his lake, by the grace of God, then every follower of Jesus Christ in here can grow this year in their relationship with Christ personally, but can be used of Jesus to make a difference in someone else's lives. It's his mission. He told us that he'd go with us till the end of the age. It's possible because all things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. So the last things are this, and I'll let you go. Spend some time maybe reading that brochure. You can get involved in a discipleship relationship this year, a one-on-one -on -one where you can personally grow. Uh, maybe someone's sitting here and, and you know that you're supposed to be a disciple maker in different ways and you're supposed to be someone who gets trained to be someone who can help others move further along in their faith. That's great. Um, if I had time, I'd, I'd challenge you to maybe just run a quick check. There's an assessment tool on that brochure you can use. But, but even in your own life, go to your notes app in your phone and just answer a couple questions. First of all, how am I doing in this discipleship thing? How am I doing? How, what am I learning How's my life changing? How am I doing? It'd be a great question to ask yourself on a daily basis, but at least once a week. How am I doing? Share it with someone else. Get accountability. How am I doing? But then go beyond that in your personal life with Christ. And ask this, in my discipleship, who am I reaching? Who is God using me as a disciple to make someone else become a disciple or help someone else become a disciple? How am I? Who am I? That's all I got time for. Can I pray for us when we're done? God, thanks so much for your truth. Thanks so much for setting the stage for us and, and not just giving us the mission, but showing us how it works. I want to pray for everybody in here, um, regardless of which chair we're sitting in, uh, that we would move further down the line, that we'd go further in this life with you as disciples, whether it's meeting you for the first time or surrendering to you in the ways that you want us to or, or being a part of uh, helping others become disciples uh, the way you intended us to. Um, God grant that for us, I pray this year in Jesus' name. Amen.